And welcome to Scream Scene, the horror movie podcast where we watch every horror movie ever made in chronological order, and then we rank them from best to worst. My name's Ben. And I'm Sarah. Thank you for listening to us today. How are you doing today, Sarah? Pretty good. I went to the spa with my mum. Yeah. So that was very fun. Feeling relaxed? Oh, yeah. Good. Just in time for a horror movie to get me all tense. <laughs> <laughs> How are you today? I'm doing pretty good. The heat finally broke here in Alberta. Uh, So it's like 19 degrees and it's raining. And I'm just, I'm oh so grateful for for this coolness. Normally I'm not a big fan of um, overcast weather, uh, but I can think, Sarah, I have brain power. I feel human. These are all good things. But you're the undead. So you're not human. Ouch. (laughs) You're not alive. You're not a human. You're a Dracula. According to our logo, you are a Dracula and I am a Frankenstein. No, no, you're, you're right. You're right. There we go. It's, it's, you know, it's sad being a Dracula. I'm sorry. It's okay. Well, to make you feel less sad, what are we watching today? Well, today, Sarah, we are watching a Mexican horror film, Hmm. Mysterios de ultra tumba or mysteries from beyond the grave all right from 1959 directed by fernando mendez oh we've seen mendez on the show before yes so fernando mendez directed ledron de cadaveras el vampiro and el atad del vampiro and um in fact most of the crew behind this film was on those previous films such as writer Ramon Obon and cinematographer Victor Herrera uh, and editor Charles Kimball. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just thinking of The Fugitive. That's why I'm mm. laughing at his name. Mm. So yeah, uh, many of the crew return from those movies. The cast is new for the most part. Um, apparently Abel Salazar, who was kind of the lead in El Vampiro and El Ataud del Vampiro, appears in this film in like a small role. Mm. Uh, He's like, I'll help you out, Fernando. Yeah, exactly. But I'm, I'm busy with like my life, right, and my career. Yeah. So he's in like a little cameo, I think, in this film. So we'll have to take a look. But he's not one of the main characters. Um, so the actors playing the main characters are all kind of like minor league Mexican uh, actors um, whose careers kind of don't quite start and end with this movie, but kind of like start a couple of years before this movie and end a couple of years after this movie. So it sounds like this is probably the most notable thing that these folks have done. For the most part, um, other than a couple of them who went on to appear in a couple horror movies after this. So uh, the film itself is considered a high point of this era of Mexican horror. Um, This is another sort of moody, atmospheric film inspired by the horror films of the 1940s. Um, So some universal influence, some RKO influence uh similar to what we've seen with these mexican horror movies in the past um but i know that this one is considered to be very like the description i kept hearing was like literary or um like intelligently written okay Um, well i mean compared to like 
Ladron de Cadaveras, where it's like wrestlers getting brain transplants sure, or yeah. something. So this, maybe this is maybe a little more, uh, I don't like to use this word, but like serious. Mm, highbrow. I don't know. It's often praised for its visuals and its story. Um, and it's considered to be one of the last major classics of this era before genre films in Mexico became dominated by the like lucha subgenre. So in a few years, if you have a vampire or a witch in a Mexican horror movie, they're going to be fighting like El Santo. Um, <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So this is kind of considered to be one of like the last big entries of like straight horror in Mexican uh, film for a while. The film was released on May 13th, 1959. Was that a Friday? I don't know. I'd okay. have to look it up. It would be edited and dubbed for release in the U.S. under the title The Black Pit of Dr. M on October 11th, 1961. And in a somewhat unusual case for this sort of thing, uh, the American version of the film is believed lost, but the oh. uncut Mexican version survives. Well, I mean, that's the version we would prefer to watch. Yes. So that there's no skin off our back. Yeah. Uh, it was released with English subtitles on DVD in 2006 by Casa Negra, which was a DVD imprint that specialized in Mexican horror films. Uh, so like a lot of the other Mexican horrors that we've watched on the show were available from Casa Negra at one point or another. Um, and then in 2021, it was given a restored Blu-ray release by Alameda Films, but that release is not available with English subtitles. Okay. Um, so that was like just a release for the Mexican market, whereas Casa Negra was a DVD company that packaged those Mexican horror films for a United States audience. Okay. That's kind of interesting. Um, so given the context that you've given us of this being kind of the last in this era, what does that mean for like Mario Bava? Because I know he really strikes it big with horror in the 60s. He's Italian. He's Italian. Well, let me just take my foot out of my mouth there. Uh, I, I'm sorry. That's I didn't all right. realize that. Um, there's a few more straight Mexican horror films after this that aren't uh, like fighting wrestlers, but this is just sort of considered to be like a high watermark uh, ah. for the era um, before things start to go in that direction. Okay. Yeah. So how are we watching this movie? Well, Sarah, uh, we're going to be watching the restored edition um, it's available on Alameda Films' uh, YouTube page, all okay. in glorious HD. It just doesn't have any English subtitles. Well, folks, that Alameda version can be found on our YouTube playlist at ScreamScenePodcast.com. You're going to hear a brief musical interlude, and when we come back, we will discuss Mysterios de Altra Tumba from 1959, directed by Fernando Mendez. See you on the other side, everybody. Welcome back to Scream Scene. We just finished watching Mysterios de Altro Tumba from 1959, directed by Fernando Mendez. Ben, first thoughts? I actually really liked this. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's got some 
Somebody once told me the world <laughs> is gonna rule me. I think it's got some patchiness to it. Like there's some things that could be improved on here, but overall I thought this was pretty good. I would definitely agree with the patchiness. It's had a lot of ambition. That's true. Yeah. And I think broad strokes, it achieved some of those things. If you look too closely, though, you start to notice those patches. Yeah. I will say that, like, this is the most, at least in my opinion, the most, like, telenovela of Mm. the various Mexican horror movies we've seen so far. Like, there's a lot of characters. There's a lot of, like, complex interrelationships between people. There's a lot of, like, secret family members. Yeah, so the, the the plot's something of a complicated web. I will say I was impressed that all of the various pieces that seem to be like kind of unrelated do play their part yeah. in the story. Things come together eventually. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't I kind of give the lay of the land? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, this land is at an asylum. As you do. As you do. Uh, And we see that there's a Dr. Aldama who dies. Now, there's some people in his room as he dies, um, particularly Dr. Mazali, who is at Aldama's side, employing him, like, keep your promise. Don't forget, once you're dead, you're supposed to come back and tell me the secret to life after death or whatever. There is another important character in this room named Dr. Gonzalez, who is basically the character for people to tell things to yeah for the audience to know what's going on yeah he's the normie now after dr aldama dies um a medium makes contact with aldama and confirms that yes um aldama is going to give mazali the secret of what happens beyond the grave but aldama does warn mazali that you know this secret is going to cost you a lot and mazali's like no worries I want this. And so Aldama, Gonzalez is here as well. But Aldama explains that like, all right, well, from this point forward, everything that happens is putting you on this path. At any time, you can say no thanks. But you have until November 15th at 9 p.m. sharp to kind of make your decision of like whether you will go through this door or not. Um, And he has this neat phrase of uh, the door closes and then another door opens. Mm. Next, we see we're at a cabaret that is very surrealist. Yes. Um, It reminded me of that really uh, interesting dance routine in Singing in the Rain when um, Gene Kelly, it's like he, there's no talking. It's just the singing part. And it's that ballet sequence with the curtains. Yeah. That's what it reminded me of. But anyways, we see that there's a dancer. Her name is Patricia. And she is um, dancing. And then she sees a guy in the audience. And this guy is like, it's you. And she's like, it's you. But she kind of freaks out because as she explains to her manager, like, I see people in my dreams and I don't know them. And this freaks me out. And I got to go now. As she's packing up, she meets a mysterious guy who explains that, like, hey, your dad was this Dr. Aldama who died, like, two weeks ago. Go to this asylum, to a Dr. Mazali. This uh, secret key that was in your locket will explain who you are, and um, you'll get, like, money that your father has left you and maybe something more. 
after she leaves, um, she her necklace falls off, um, and that man that she saw in the audience comes down. Uh, turns out this guy's name is Eduardo. We learn he's actually an intern at the asylum, and um, mysterious circumstances lead him to find that necklace and then eventually give it to her, kind of tying him to her. So Patricia goes to the asylum, and as she's on her way, we cut back to the asylum and we see Mazali and Gonzalez, uh, as well as a um, orderly named Elmer, treating this uh, unnamed woman. And there are strong implications that this woman, uh, who is mad... Yeah, like violently insane. Yeah, um, is actually Patricia's mother. But during one of these violent fits that this woman has, um, she pours acid on Elmer's face. And so he gets, like, two-faced. Yeah. Patricia manages to talk to Mazali and Gonzalez, and they're like, did this mysterious stranger look like this portrait on the wall? And she's like, oh, hey, yeah, it did. And they're like, that's Aldama. It was the ghost of your dad. Um, time moves at a different pace in this movie. Um, yeah. It, it's a little surprising how f- quickly we jump. Um, but next thing we know, Eduardo and Patricia have a will-they-won't-they they kind of relationship patricia you know she ends up staying that night and eduardo gives her the um necklace back and then she patricia is also offered by mazali to stay at the asylum for like a year to learn how to be a nurse um and she's like unsure about taking that and the next thing we know it's been like two weeks later and she's been learning how to be a nurse and after those two weeks patricia and eduardo falling in love Mazali is also falling in love with Patricia. Uh-oh. And it's also like November 15th today. <laughs> oh, wow. It got here quick. Uh, and Gonzalez is like, it's the 15th. You have until 9 p.m. And it's like 8.45. Mazali, like, I don't know about this. And Mazali's like, yeah, the only thing that would give me pause is the fact that I love Patricia. And if it could be reciprocated, then I wouldn't go through with this. And Gonzalez is like, well, then either talk to her or call it off, like do something. And then he can't get to Patricia because that mad woman, not in the attic, she escapes. <laughs> also, meanwhile, uh, so Elmer has been recovering this, this new half of his face. And he's really upset about it because it looks like stretched skin. Yeah, like he, it, he, he's disfigured. Yeah. Um, he's got a real like femme of the opera in the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical vibe to him. <laughs> Uh, and so he decides that he's going to kill that madwoman as revenge. When he goes to do that, that madwoman has escaped from her cell. And so he tracks her down and murders her. This is all going on at the same time as Mazali being told, hey, the woman's escaped. They're searching around trying to find her. It's getting closer and closer to 9 p.m. He goes inside his office and then sees a stabbed madwoman um on his floor and he goes to like help her and as everyone else comes in uh the doors like close uh through like a mysterious unseen force and then when they finally get them open the mad woman is dead and mazali's like she was dead when i got here too late dude you're going to get tried for murder next thing we know (laughs) it's like three months later and he has been tried and convicted of murdering this patient of his and it's like 
the night before his execution by hanging. Mm-hmm. Now Gonzalez goes to him and and Mazzali's like, "Don't worry, like Aldama said that like this was all going to happen. He'll come back. Like he'll, he'll I'll be, I'll, I'll be saved. Yeah. It'll be fine. Yeah, because he knows." he's going to die and then come back from beyond the grave and be restored to life. Like that was the deal. Yeah. And then, uh, the guards come to take Mazali to the gallows intercut with the long walk to the gallows is Elmer overcome with guilt about having killed the mad woman and then having Mazali take the fall for it. So he writes his confession in a letter and then just as he's leaving to deliver it, he suffers a heart attack. And we see that letter get carried off by the wind. Then, Almer is discovered, declared dead by Eduardo, economy of characters, and then he's buried. And Eduardo does note, like, well, this is weird. In his will, it says not to be buried in a coffin and just to be thrown into the ground and buried like this. But okay, that's his last wishes, I guess. And he gets buried. Cut back to... Mizali, now up by the hangman's noose, being like, God damn it, Aldami, you you lying snitch. Well, if I can have one last wish before death, it's that I bring the mad woman's killer to justice. Yeah, what he specifically says is, I want the murderer. Yes. And then he's hanged. Next thing we know, Elmer's coming up from the grave. And he's wandering through the streets and eventually makes it back to the asylum. I love that, like... So, so the way Elmer comes out, like it's the classic, like shot of the grave, then like the one hand punching through the dirt and him like crawling out from the dirt. And I love that, like, apparently the main reason why he had a will saying, don't put me in a coffin is so that the film could have him climb out of his own grave without like having to deal with the question of like, how did he get the coffin door open with all the, (laughs) you know, weight of the dirt on it? Like all those kind of questions that you sometimes see people ask about scenes like that. It's like, yeah, don't worry. There wasn't a coffin. He just climbed through the dirt. (laughs) Now, as I said, Elmer makes his way back to the asylum. And then we see inside the asylum in like the living quarters where um, everyone, including Patricia, Eduardo and Gonzalez are having like a memorial for Mazzali. And then they hear, Mazzali's telltale aggressive fiddling. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, what's going on? Eduardo and Gonzalez go investigate and they find Elmer fiddling like all to hell. And he's like, it's me, Gonzalez. I am back. Sucks that I'm in Elmer's body because of this face, but I will bring that murderer to justice. Just then, the letter, the confession letter, is found behind the portrait of Mazali, um, again, by mysterious circumstances. Um, and all of this mysterious circumstances are set up because we see Aldami's ghost kind of moving in and out of scenes. Um, anyways, they, they find the confession letter and Eduardo's like, aha, you shall be hanged instead. And they have like a, a big fight. Yeah. Eduardo's um, like, I don't know how you managed to like fake your death, but like basically Eduardo's assuming that what Elmer did is the old, you can't, execute me i'm legally dead like scheme and doesn't believe it's marsali in elmer's body whereas like gonzalez is like no eduardo you don't understand it's a very complex thing (laughs) Uh, i'll be calling him elmer but it is mazali he does explain to you gonzalez that like my passion for patricia has only grown more Mm -hmm. so he goes after patricia she uh faints and he's like okay well to make sure that you will love only me 
I will pour acid on your face. You know, it'll be like, oh, we're not so different, you (laughs) and I. No one could possibly love her with acid face except me. Who also has acid face. Right. Luckily, Eduardo was able to stop them in time. And how does Elmer die? So they have a big fight, but it's in like the room where they keep all of like the chemicals essentially in the asylum. So like things burst into flames and Elmer gets set on fire. Yes. So he's burned up uh, and runs out and Gonzalez, um, you know, they managed to put out the flames, but Elmer is dead and Gonzalez begins to mourn Mazali's soul, which is now for sure going to hell because this has been such an such a thing. Um, and that's the end. Yeah. And and Gonzalez sort of ends the movie with sort of a variation on the like typical like there are things man isn't meant to know speech, but it's a little bit different. He quotes from the Gospel of Luke which says that like, you know, all things will be revealed in time. Like there, there will come a day when there are no secrets basically. And so Gonzalez is like, yeah, so we scientists shouldn't be like rushing to figure out like the answer to the question, what lies beyond death? Because like, we're all going to know the answer to that question sooner or later. Yeah. Yeah. So things to praise about this movie. Mm. Absolutely. The fog and atmosphere. Oh yeah. Beautiful, beautiful, uh, beautiful cinematography, lots of great use of light and shadow. The fog looks like it's painted on the like film, but yet people are moving through it. Like it's it's so clear. It's fog machine fog, but it's, it's really good. The makeup on Elmer, I think is pretty good. And we do see him after he's been burned up and that was really chilling. Yeah. Yeah. I think they did a great makeup job uh, throughout on this film. I also really liked the kind of um, be careful what you wish for like Twilight Zone kind of nature of the plot. Yes. As well as like, like, I don't know what Marsali did to Aldama to make Aldama want to just screw him over so bad. But basically all of the like various wild coincidences in this movie are all kind of implied to be things that Aldama is doing. Like the fact that Elmer writes his confession and then on the way out the door is just like, Oh, a sudden heart attack and dies. And it's all like very carefully set up so that Marsali will die and then come back in Elmer's body. And then like essentially get, get sort of killed for the same crime that he didn't commit twice. Yeah. Because he's executed for this murder. He didn't do as Marsali. And then because he comes back in the murderer's body, Eduardo's like, aha, you're the murderer. And he gets killed again. And it's like, what did Marsali do to you, Eldama? What did he do? But also why would Eldama bring Patricia in here? Patricia, who is Eldama's long lost daughter, who he wants to give inheritance to, but like she's put into danger. Yeah, so the backstory that we get here is very fragmentary, um, but the impression we get is that, like, Aldama and Patricia's mother had a daughter. Aldama was like, nope, and abandoned them. He went to go live and work at the asylum for 20 years, and uh, Patricia's mom was like, your dad's dead, uh, and, like, lied to her, and she didn't know she basically had a dad until 15 days after he died uh, and gave her her inheritance. But yeah, like, why is she here? She's, I guess, here to be a 
cog in the machine, like the elaborate Rube Goldberg <laughs> machine that is Marsali's downfall. That's fair. It's just, it's weird because, you know, it's set up that like all this happening is fate that Mazali is put mm. into motion by his weird desires, right? Mm-hmm. And so Aldam is like, okay, well, great. This is going to mean I get to fuck you over, but let's bring my daughter. Come on down, Patricia. Right. I think I think there's just sort of, you know, a ghost can want more than one thing. Like, she sure. want to screw over his colleague and get some money for his daughter. It makes uh, Cuz like she meets Eduardo because of this and presumably like falls in love and lives happily ever after, right? Yeah, but she met Eduardo before all this happened. But she was going to run away. Yeah. Um I will also add that um it makes me wonder if Aldama died because of Mazali. Like they were testing this thing out and the experiment went wrong and that's why he died. And that's why Mazali was like, remember your promise. Yeah, I don't know. We don't know any of that. We know that they keep referring to this as an experiment, but like literally the experiment is, okay, whoever dies first has to figure out how to come back from the dead for the other person. That's the experiment, which is not quite anyways. (laughs) um, There are some like loose threads that aren't yes. tied up. The The most significant one to me is the mad woman because I kind of called it early in the movie that she was going to turn out to be Patricia's mom, but that's not actually definitively stated or resolved at any point. Like there's no big, like, Oh my God, that was your mom kind of moment. Even though if it is her mom, that does make sense as to like why Eldama's ghost wants to like screw over Marsali because like, and you know, he was treating the mom at the asylum and like she dies because of like his actions and so on. Yes. I think also like this woman, this mad woman coming in could be why Aldama was like, okay, I'll go back to Patricia. Like I'll take on the role of fatherhood, sure, you know, after sure. 20 or so years. The Patricia thinks her mother is dead. Uh, she says that like her mother died after a long illness. Um, and so like, the reason why I think the Mad Woman's her mom is is partly like some economy of characters thing, partly that it just like fits the vibe of the story. I think the biggest hint we get is that there's a music box that if the music plays, um, the Mad Woman comes down in like a music soothes the savage beast kind of way. And Patricia, without ever hearing that music box, like plays the same melody on a piano when she's in Marsali's office, just kind of waiting for him at one point. And so that made me think like, oh, okay, I see what's going on here. But then they don't actually deal with it. Tie that up. Yeah. I think part of the reason why, yes, there are a lot of threads, the major ones they deal with, but Mm -hmm. there are some frayed edges here. And I think part of that is because of this condensed time. Yeah. So... you you pointed it out in the synopsis but yeah like we're basically following the characters like day to day until marsali's like hey do you want to stay for a while and you know see what it's like and maybe do a trial run on this like nurse thing and she's like okay i'll give you two weeks or whatever she says and then we're boom two weeks later and it's the 15th and then like all this stuff happens on the same day and then boom it's three months later and we rush right by like the trial or anything, mostly because if you think about it for like two seconds, he should not have gotten the death penalty for this. Like, okay, yes, the circumstantial evidence against him was very strong. They found him holding the woman in his arms with the knife in her chest. That they know to be his. Right. 
and like Elmer wore black giallo gloves uh, so that he wouldn't have fingerprints on the knife. But how did he get convicted on this when A, Elmer is a very obvious suspect? Like, oh, the guy who became like a homicidal maniac after this homicidal maniac, like, acidified his face like oh yeah we won't look into him at all like what lawyers did marsali have like (laughs) he had this shitty a trial and it's like you were the doctor running the asylum like what motive would he have and even like the only motive you could establish is well she was like violent and attacking him maybe and he killed her in self-defense at which point you should not be getting the death penalty then like it's nonsense but we kind of need it to be what the plot does so we kind of just skip it and then yeah as you point out like a whole like couple of days worth of events then proceeds to happen as marsali's on his way to the gallows basically well yeah because um elmer's like confession and death and burial has to happen so quickly that like he's fresh in the ground for Masali to take mm-hmm. over, but not so close that like someone could have found the letter and called off the execution. Right, exactly. And I, I do want to point something out. So the subtitles that we had did say three months. I remember that because it was like three months. Whoa. Mm-hmm. But it might have been a mistranslation of three weeks because on the night of the possession of Elmer's body, a calendar says December 13th. Oh, that's right. So yeah. it might be three weeks. Okay. But that's still quite a time jump. That's quite a time jump. That's also really fast for something to go through, like, trial and everything. It was a show trial, No then. kidding. Yeah, like, what political <laughs> enemies did Marsali have? No, it was all done by Aldama behind the scenes. Right, yeah. Just possessing the judge and being like, <laughs> you're guilty. And it's like, sir, the jury hasn't even... He's guilty. <laughs> um, I will say that uh, one of the biggest problems I have with this movie is that Aldama... Marsali and Gonzalez all look exactly the same. Like they're different actors and they have different builds. Like uh, Marsali has a very like leading man, square jaw kind of build. And Gonzalez is a little heavier set and Aldama is like a little thinner, but they aren't so different in build that it's like, you know, a um, Abbott and Costello situation. Like they're still pretty similar and they all have the exact same haircut where they have like slicked back, black hair with graying temples and like gray along the front. And they all have the exact same like pencil mustache. And it's just like, why are you making this confusing for me? What are you doing? What I got confused about until my brain caught up is the cut from Mazzali and Gonzalez to the cabaret Mm. because Eduardo, who is like the person we see at first in the cabaret looks like a young Mazzali. Yes, he has the same haircut and mustache. He just has like light, what what probably is like light brown hair. Yeah, like a younger version of him. Right. And so I was like, oh, are we going to see like... The backstory. His, yeah. And then it was just like, no, actually, this is just like that character. And then I thought maybe it was um like he was going younger as he, they got closer to the November 15th or something. Yeah, no, totally. And then they finally introduced that this young guy was Eduardo. But yeah, I got really confused. Yeah, all these guys look the same. So yeah, I guess to be a doctor in Mexico, there was like a specific like hair and facial hair like requirement at the time. I Ooh. don't know. Yeah, the ending's a little bit rushed. Yeah. Um, It makes sense on like a vibes level more than a uh, like literal level, you know? 
vibes, but also that homage to Universal stuff. Mm. And I also want to make sure to call out that Aldama's haunting was really good. I really liked the way that he was haunting. He was like sometimes in the scenes, sometimes not. Sometimes you would see his shadow. He would walk past and people would be like, oh, there was that the wind Um, and the way that he would like use the wind to control like the letter flying away. It was really cool and like really well done. Lots of really cool visuals in this movie. Um, Good effects work. Pretty good performances, I thought, all around. Um, The actress who plays Patricia is extremely gorgeous. Yeah, pretty fun movie. I will say that I am 99% sure that the Asylum is the same set as like the Hacienda from El Vampiro. Like it's exactly the same courtyard. I am 99% sure. So that was kind of fun to see and, and notice. But yeah, I, I liked this. I think it's a little sloppy, but I, I liked it. I liked it too. Um, but where would you rank it? Mm. Well, Sarah, as you might expect, uh, I looked for El Vampiro on the list mm. as a comparison point. Um, I actually think I liked this better than El Vampiro. El Vampiro is, is very good, but I think it's also like has a lot going on and a lot of like complicated ins and outs. Mm -hmm. And I think ultimately speaking, what I liked about this better was um, the romantic subplot didn't have the sleazy element that El Vampiro's does. Sure. Um, I will say El Vampiro, while it also had many, many threads, they all come together. Oh, absolutely. But I also think that, Mysterios de Ultratumba has like way better like atmosphere and cinematography. Like I think the team making these movies has gotten better with each entry. And I think it's, it's really good that way. So I made El Vampiro my floor. And then uh, I did not think that this was superior to Vampire, which is at number 49, but I thought it could be better than the seventh victim, which is also a really convoluted movie that feels like they forgot about, bits of the story as they were making it. Um, So my range here is 50 to 55. All right. So I also started to look at where Mendez's other work was. So as you said, El Vampiro from 1957 is ranked at number 55. His 1958 horror movie, El Atard del Vampiro, is right below that at number 56. And then La Gionda Cadaveras from 1957 is ranked at number 110. Wow, that's a gap. That's a gap. Um, so I looked at Ladronda Cadaveras and I was like, you know what? I think Mysterio de Ultratumba is a better horror movie than yeah. that. That movie's really fun. This has the atmosphere and everything that you're looking for. So I started looking up from there. From El Vampiro and El Atad del Vampiro, I wasn't sure. Because El Vampiro, as I said, really brings everything together. It has a stronger core, mm. maybe because it is adapting Dracula. Um, however loosely. So I actually had considered a range below El Vampiro. And ultimately where I was kind of looking was my eyes fell to the return of Dracula at 71, which is suburban Dracula. Right. And I was like, that movie is also a little convoluted, but I felt like, you know, whether they meant to or not, it's saying something interesting about an immigrant story. Right. Whereas Mysterio's de, de Ultratumba, it's not saying anything in that way. Like, it's a vibe, it's a fun movie, but sure. there's no, like, social meaning behind it. Right. 
So I started looking below 71 and I stopped at 86, The Devil Commands, because both of these movies have elements of like going beyond the grave. Sure. And um, I think Mysterious Ultra Tumba does it better than The Devil Commands. Sure. I would like to propose a spot. Mm. Um, I think this is better than Return of Dracula. Um, yes, Return of Dracula is saying something interesting about like immigrants in America uh, by accident, but like because of that suburban setting, like they just go out to Bronson Canyon and the endings in a cave. Like it has that cheap feel that a lot of American indie horror movies of this period have, and ultimately, I think that on the level of being a horror movie, um, Mysterios de Ultra Tumba like achieves greater atmosphere and like greater spooky creepiness. Um, so I would say that this is better than return of Dracula, but I would be willing to rank it below last week's movie, uh, curse of the undead because it's not doing anything as like innovative or clever as that movie was. Yeah. I think mysterious is innovating on its own trend. Mm-hmm. Like they, they really, nailed down what they're wanting to do here they're not innovating so much as they're like iterating yes yes and and improving upon what they were doing and i would agree that this is probably a high point um particularly for the stuff that we've seen from mendes like it's really well done Mm -hmm. um but i am happy with that spot okay so entering the list at the new number 71 is mysterios de ultra tumba from 1959, directed by Fernando Mendez. If you would like to see this list, you can go to our website, screamscenepodcast.com. There you can find links to the many episodes that we have mentioned today, as well as our appeals box. If you would like to contest this or any other ranking, you can drop us a line through our ask box on Tumblr. You can reach out over email at screamscenepodcast at gmail.com or reach out over Twitter at underscore screamscene. Scream Scene updates every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify. You can subscribe to the show using our RSS feed and help the show out by telling a friend about it. Uh, whether that's over social media or you know face-to-face, word of mouth is the best way for us to grow our audience. If you'd like to help out the show in a financial sense, uh, help us pay for our hosting fees and um, make it, you know, feasible for us to take the time out of our busy, busy schedules to do these episodes. Um, we would really appreciate it if you headed on over to patreon.com slash scream scene podcast, where you can become a patron of the night for as little as a dollar a month. Patrons at the five and $10 level get access to regular bonus content and patrons of all levels get to vote in our monthly horror adjacent bonus episode polls. The current poll is about the works of Lon Chaney Sr. that are horror adjacent. And I believe London After Midnight is in the lead by a sizable margin. Yeah, which is fine. Yeah. So, you know, the results of that poll will determine what our September bonus episode is. So if you want to get in there and speak your piece about Hunchback of Notre Dame or any of the other movies on that list, head on over to patreon.com slash scream scene podcast. So, Ben, what are we watching next week? So next week, Sarah, we are watching a film from Edward L. Kahn, the director of It, The Terror from Beyond Space. Yeah. Uh, It is The Four Skulls of Jonathan Drake. 
So is that four in addition to like his head? Are they four skulls that he's collected? Did he have four skulls? I don't know. Is he like a hydra? We'll have to find out next week, Creatures of the Night. Bye. Bye. Bye.